You're listening to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 62. Today's episode is part two of an interview with Arvind Nagarajan, the managing director of Pearson Affordable Learning Fund. In this segment, Arvind and Josh discuss how a financial focus affects the organization of the fund and how PALF figured out if an accelerator was the right move for them. You can find Arvind's contact info in the show notes. Hi there, everyone. I'm Victory, the producer of Inside Outside Innovation, the podcast that brings you the latest insights from people who know the most about building lean businesses, innovating within corporations, and disrupting entire industries with passion and precision. So I'd like to tap into, it's probably a misconceived notion that a lot of people have in that, uh, you know, one of the best ways uh, to be able to especially focus on such a, a, an important area like education is obviously this should be government work or social sector work or NGOs or whatnot to be able to move this forward. Yet, yet you're coming at it from a very different angle from a venture capital and telling me that it's very financial driven. Tell me about the pros and the cons uh, to that approach, because uh, there's obviously a lot of pros that I'm sure uh, when you unpack it, uh, especially when thinking about the competitive nature and what that drives and the, from performance standpoints. But I just want to throw that out to you. Talk to me about the pros and cons of VC approaching something that many people might say, I think that's a government or NGOs uh, left to deal with it. Oh, yeah. That's a very common common refrain, and I, let me start by so my boss often says this, uh, which is a, a really great line. He says, "The road to hell is paved with false dichotomies," and so it's it's an interesting because people are often have this debate of public versus private, and that private, you know, anything for profit is really has can have a toxic reputation, especially when you think of the states in in, in terms of education. And the, the approach that we take is that. We don't believe private is good or public is good. What we're looking for is how can you, you know, what are the most effective solutions for students to get quality education? And so private is in, if you look at emerging market education, governments have spent, you know, spend trillions of dollars and have really been unable to, in the, in the past decades, deliver significant learning results. There's been great progress in getting kids into school. So we now have above 95% primary school enrollment rates across most, most countries in the world, you know, nearing a hundred percent. And uh, so, so that challenge has been really effectively solved. But in terms of what they're learning in school, it's been very dismal. And, you know, in emerging markets, people really do value education to a very deep extent. They, again, they see that as a, a significant pathway out of poverty and, and into the middle class, into moving their children into a, a place that they, they aren't able to be. And, you know, that's why we see in urban areas, 50 to 70% of students are attending private schools. Um, so that market already exists in a big way. And so, you know, we never we don't believe that the private sector is going to take over any of these markets and is going to educate all the students. Um, but we think that that is going to be a part of the solution for delivering education. And that part where we see is, you know, emerging markets, parents are willing to pay for solutions that deliver. Communities see education as a nation building process. So we see more and more strong entrepreneurs entering this space because they see this as a way of of really contributing to their their country in a way that they in a way that's really important. And and we see, you know, we see the partnership opportunities like for example at the Spark Schools there is a real estate company that is given favorable leases to our the Spark Schools because they say, "Okay, this is an environment where 
we can build communities around a Spark School when we go into new places. So it makes sense for us to have the Spark School as a kind of centerpiece where we can develop a com- where we can create a community development around that. And so things like that, I think that's where the financial opportunity becomes attractive because for us, unless you're able to financially deliver returns, we aren't. Um, you'll never be at a scale and size significant enough to be a meaningful contributor at, at a system level. That's where we see the potential. Tell me about the importance of kind of co-investing. You mentioned a bit ago about finding geographic partners. How do you work with those geographic partners and the sourcing and the vetting and the funding and the ongoing uh, advising, counseling, management of those investments? Yeah. So, I mean, we've started to get better and better at this. This is, I think, one of the keys is from a portfolio management point of view, you have to know what you know and what you don't know. And I think what we've learned is that we spend a lot of time traveling. We're on the, you know, I spend a lot of my time on a plane. I'm in India every, you know, two weeks, every quarter. Um, but you do, there, there are gaps. It's, it's, you can't just often, it requires an email to set up a time. You can't just pick up the phone sometimes, you know, sometimes there are different things that you can provide. And so that's where, and we don't understand markets as deeply. So in a country like South Africa or India or Ghana, um, what are the paths to success? What are some of the, the, challenges from a, a government standpoint or from a, a, a from a scalability standpoint that you have to think about. Those aren't areas that we we have expertise on. So what we found to be successful is partnering with either angels or institutional investors that have a deep geographic focus within that country or region. And they can provide that complementary support and the at the board level, but also just at a more day to day level from a portfolio management point of view. You know, because we found the best thing to be really smart angels that have been that have operated businesses successfully in those regions can provide such an invaluable sense of mentorship and a, a sounding wall to the entrepreneurs. Because at the end of the day, the biggest challenge in investing in emerging markets period is human capital. That's the barrier to scaling. That's the, you know, so it's, you don't have as many mentors to look up to to see that here's the path, here's the roadmap to success. And so having those people from those markets is, I think, have, has been a really critical thing that we've seen has been really helpful and something that now we look to identify more proactively when we're making a new investment. Probably similar along that vein. Can you talk to me about any of the other types of partners or other partner programs that you've done? I, I saw a little bit of the Edupreneur uh, Accelerator, uh, a little bit of combination with Vilcap. Uh, I think you and I are both, I'm also a mentor uh, for Vilcap teams. And so how, how do those partnerships enable you to be successful? We're always thinking about what's like the long-term pipeline for us as a Series A investor. There needs to be great, you know, there needs to be more and more companies entering that seed stage and you know, innovating and trying different things. And so when we were early on in, in the life of the fund, we recognized that the pipeline was kind of shallow within education. So how could we raise the profile? And so Village Village Capital was a fantastic partner in terms of running an accelerator program that identified different startups within education, but then kind of just got different local accelerators, incubators, investors, and operators to really think, okay, this is a space that I should be giving some time to and, and considering more. And we've, we've really seen the dividends of that in terms of more and more. I mean, we had a hundred applications or so for our India accelerator that we ran with them and, and about 70 plus for in South Africa where we ran a regional accelerator. And those types of ecosystem building efforts are crucial for us because as a sector specific investor, what we have to do is is really demonstrate that 
education is an area that we under, know and understand really well. And then on the other hand, we need to continue to build out a flow of pipeline where companies are, are recognizing us and, and are coming inbound more so than us outbound. Yeah, wait, real quick. How many years in uh, after PALF was founded, did you understand that you needed to do something like the accelerator? So in 2012, the, the fund was founded and we ran it in 2013. And, uh, so a year later. Oh, so yeah. it was pretty quick. Yeah. Interesting. If I'm a corporation who is looking to start a venture capital arm, what are some of the things that uh, you would share with them as any uh, lessons learned or best practices or things that if you were to rewind back the clock or your peers who are on the leadership team rewind the clock that you would wish you would have known a few years ago when PALF was started? Yeah, there's a laundry list here. I'd say one is I'm sure if I if you were to talk to someone who ha is from a, a corporate venture capital fund that runs things differently, there's probably pros to that that I'm unaware of. But I really do think that having a non-strategic focus can be really helpful because I think that's I've just found a big struggle is with the best entrepreneurs. They are really worried about tying up with a, a corporation. They recognize the benefits, but they're very cautious about the, the potential downsides. And so having that clear demarcation has been, I think, a critical factor for our success. Do you think, because you said the best entrepreneurs, should you almost be concerned if uh, they see you as a lifeline and they can't wait and they're just linking up with you? I mean, there's a little bit of that, that that's showing the courage and the solidarity that they have in their plan and their business idea, right? Definitely. I, I mean, it's, it's surprising. Like, it's just a, it's like a little litmus test is just the number of times they use the word Pearson versus our fund is like a, a little litmus test because they're like, oh, it'd be so nice to have Pearson as a partner here. And you're like, well, this isn't, you know, if you think that this is like the Pearson brand is what's going to save your company, that's, you know, I, I think we, you know, there's, there's, there's probably, a, you have a, a few things to learn here, <laughs> but it's, so it's, 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 it is interesting because it's, it's something that we've kind of recognized is like, oh, wow, the companies that, um, those the deals we end up fighting for that are have competing interests are the ones where they're saying, well, look, this is actually it's not as clear cut how these you know downsides will be mitigated. Yeah, good. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Any other lessons learned that you had? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the other is setting out at the onset how you'll be measured because and how you're going to be set up from a decision making point of view. Just like little things like where does the money you know. Does the fund sit as an external entity? Where you know, do the are they are are the funds actually sitting? Or are you drawn from the balance sheet? Um, do people understand? Because I think it's important when you come from a corporate world, you, you often don't understand this in the same to the level of nuance, which is your returns are long term, and your failures will emerge before your successes. Because it, you know the nature of venture is that you're going to have company the companies that fail will will materialize before your successes are are fully successful. And so and that can be a tough pill for corporates to swallow that are often thinking quarter to quarter that are often thinking about things in a more linear fashion. And so I think getting those expectations set the right way is very important. All right. Arvin, any uh, other things that uh, you would like to share or that people should know about you uh, or any plugs for PALF that, that you want to give at the end? Well, I mean, you know, anyone, we're always, the, the door is always open in terms of we're always looking for ways to partner with companies in education space, either in terms of publishing or finding new entrepreneurs or running new programs. So if there's anyone who's working in this space, it is one that we're um, we are always, because we're a small team of seven covering large markets, 
we, we will all we are always open to collaboration opportunities. That wraps up another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you've got a topic or area you'd like us to dig into, let us know, because we'd love to share our insights and invite other experts like Arvind onto the show so they can share theirs. Until next time, go out and innovate.